Welcome back to the Cordell and Cordell and Men's Divorce Podcast. I'm Scott Trout, CEO and Managing Partner of Cordell and Cordell. And today, as usual, we're bringing you information for guys before, during, and after divorce for all things related to family law. Uh, continue to bring you this podcast series twice each week as well. Check out our virtual town hall that is once a month coming up in February. You want to register though, so you can log in live during that hour broadcast, ask questions live of our panel of Cordell and Cordell attorneys and get answers. So we want to make sure you get that done. Check us out on social media as well as CordellCordell.com. Uh, keep in mind that we cannot give you legal advice in this podcast as usual. Uh, this is really educational, informational, and is not to be taken as an attorney-client relationship. There's just so much that we would need to get from each of you. But if you want a consultation, which we encourage you to do, uh, reach us at 866-DANSLAW or go get more information at CordellCordell.com. So today, I'm joined by litigation partner Jill Massey in Georgia. Welcome. Hey, Scott. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for joining today. Uh, we want to talk about, um, which really is something that is uh, prolific in family law, and that is protective order hearings, and they go by the name of adult, adult abuse orders, orders of protection, protection from abuse, temporary protective orders, anything like that, uh, or it could be temporary orders of restraining, TROs. I mean, there's just a variant uh, of this that you would see that the kind of interim orders. So maybe the best place to start is to describe the process, the procedure, what it is, what it involves, and we kind of go from there. Sure. So we call protective orders in Georgia temporary protective orders, and it's shortened to TPO. So if you hear me reference TPO today, just out of habit, that I'm talking. That's just our abbreviation, our acronym for the type of order. What it is, it's effectively, it's someone has filed a domestic violence claim against you in a civil court as opposed to a prosecutor filing in a criminal court. Um, there's multiple people can file these types of um, domestic violence claims, but for purposes of today, I'll, I'll probably be, you know, limiting my discussion to a, a wife filing against a husband. That is the overwhelming majority of what we see so um, again, just because I'm only talking about that doesn't mean that that's what it's limited to. Um, in Georgia, the statute is called the family violence statute. So there it's, it can really be violence against any family member or members of the same household. But I'm gonna primarily limit discussion to a wife filing against a husband. Again, that's what we see largely and what we're always finding ourselves defending against. But what it is is a, a wife will go down to the courthouse and make a claim that there's been an act of domestic violence um, committed by the husband. And the way that the courts are typically set up is that the judge will, there's an assigned judge to look at the petition immediately. The wife will sign, fill out a petition, sign it under the penalty of perjury. And it's not one of those types of things where it takes a while to push through the system. The judge will look at it immediately and determine if there is an immediate need for relief. For example, if, if the judge thinks that there has been an act of domestic violence, yeah. then the judge will sign what's called an ex parte protective order. And the ex parte piece of that just means without notice. Um, our, our due process system here in the United States requires that defendants receive notice before they have their rights restricted or taken away entirely. So only in very limited circumstances, for example, what we're talking about today, are courts even allowed to enter orders to take away someone's rights, which is what happens in an ex parte protective order situation. If the court thinks that there is actually domestic violence going on or a reasonable likelihood that it's going on, the court will go ahead and enter what's called an ex parte protective order. 
and then that order will be delivered to to the defendant the husband typically by the sheriff and that will typically happen same day turnaround it, it's all intended to happen very very quickly the sheriff will serve the husband and say i mean at least in georgia we'll say nine times out of ten if not ten times out of ten you know you've got to leave the house and you're not allowed to come back here your hearing date is scheduled for x and that's in georgia it has to be within 30 days right yeah i think that you know you it was I explain this to guys when they're like, well, how did this happen? How could they go get this without my notice? And how could, you know, judges are, uh, they all want to stay out of the spotlight. And so if there are any credible facts whatsoever in that petition, they're going to sign it. You know, even if there's a slim, slim chance that, they, you know, that this happened, they're going to sign it because they don't want to be on the news that, you know, when they denied it and something terrible happens. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's one of, to me, I say is probably the more abused either code statute, whatever it may be, you know, in your state and your, you know, and your locale that, that devises it because I could just go in and say, well, Jill, she threatened me last night and she told me she's going to kill me. Now I, I could be lying. And good luck. And I'm going to get the ex parte order protection until I get to a mm -hmm. full hearing, and we'll talk about how that, that works. But that's the point. It's all the proof necessary is mm -hmm. trigger something in that statute or in that code or in that case law, and it, you're going to get this really terrible restraining order. And so, but all hope is not lost. So let's talk about preparing your defense because there's a great opportunity to attack the pleadings. Right. So what Scott's absolutely correct in that most people that come in and hire us to defend against a protective order are just dumbfounded at how it, how this could have even happened. You know, the fact oftentimes the allegations aren't even that egregious, but like yeah. Scott said, it doesn't take hardly anything. Um, judges err on the side of caution in these things. Uh, the overwhelming majority of the time, I can only probably even think of maybe a handful, one or two instances where I've seen a judge deny the ex parte relief. Mm -hmm. um, you know, upon it being requested. So primarily, the, you know, the first thing you need to do is just don't be discouraged. Don't think I'm defeated. You know, the judge has already ruled against me. The judge already hates me. The judge already is saying I did this. Uh, don't, don't, that, that is, should not be what's going through your head because the, the judge recognizes him or herself that all of the evidence or any of the evidence, quite frankly, at that point has not been heard and the judge is going to be ready and willing to hear the evidence when that hearing date comes. And again, it comes usually very, very quickly. So that's, mm. if there's any upside to it. I mean, that would be it. So don't feel discouraged, but what you have to do is you, you got to get with a lawyer and you're going to have to get with that lawyer very, very quickly. Again, because of the way that these cases move through the system. When a sheriff comes and puts you out of your home with one of these ex parte orders, it, the system is designed for you to not be out of your home for very long. I know any time is too long, yeah. but you know it's it's designed for to get to the bottom of what's going on very quickly. So your hearing date will probably be within thirty days. In some jurisdictions, it may be even a shorter timeline. I don't know, but if you if you wait to go get a lawyer, you're you're really shooting yourself in the foot as far as being able to get your evidence together. Your lawyer is going to want all the time um, afforded, whether it be you know twenty nine days or you know whatever whatever it is your lawyer is going to want that time to work with you to, to get everything going. Okay. So yeah. it's just, it's just a different beast of, of the litigation that we see, you know, that in some, that is usually a lot longer. You have a lot more time to get together in TPO hearings. It is not the case. Get in with a lawyer the day you get served the next day, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. For some dads out there, the coronavirus pandemic has become a pretext to limit access to their children. 
Other dads have been pushed out of key decisions affecting their children's lives. If you're one of those dads, Cordell & Cordell is here for you, as always, but with expanded services. We can meet you in person or by video conference on weekdays, evenings, or weekends. Our goal is to step up our service to meet your needs now. I think that's so key is it is in for here in Missouri, it could be two weeks, but COVID has delayed some of that. And so imagine, you know, I always describe this process. There's a knock on the door and the sheriff's there and they're saying, get, get your things. And you have about uh, 60 seconds to get out. And so imagine in your scramble, you're not going to get everything you need and you're out. It could be two weeks. It could be 60 days. It could be, you know, if the hearing is permanent, it could be much longer. And, uh, you know, it's in the 10 stupidest mistakes we've talked about is kind of avoiding the confrontation. You, know, you don't want to be in that scenario, but hiring an attorney, getting them to look at the pleadings, seeing what relief we can get right away. It's critical because it is, it's, it's, very disruptive, especially in code when you don't know where to go. And we're, you know, some of these cities are in lockdown uh, and, and you're left with, with really nothing. And so as you prepare for, you know, meeting with your attorney, it's utilize discovery, right? And, you know, get the things so you know what, you know, you're going to need at that trial if you have to have a trial, right? Right. So what I see very oftentimes is people, it's particularly defendants and plaintiffs as well in these types of cases, but we're talking, you know, from the defendant side in the setting don't use don't use discovery in protective order cases because it oftentimes does feel like a scramble now in fairness i will say that at least in georgia you're not allowed to use all of the traditional discovery tools that you are in other types of civil litigation but that certainly doesn't mean that your hands are tied so while i may not be able to force the plaintiff to sit for a quick deposition or force the plaintiff to answer interrogatories under oath before we get to the hearing subpoenas are valid, um, notices to produce are valid, making the plaintiff bring certain documents you know, and, and hand them over at the morning of the hearing before the hearing. Even just serving a notice to produce on the plaintiff that says something as simple as produce all of the evidence that you intend to tender at the hearing, they have to hand that to you before the hearing and I would certainly like to have it 10 minutes before the hearing if even if that's it. Yeah. So do not uh, for or forgo the discovery process if it's available in your jurisdiction because you can you can really really advantage yourself or disadvantage yourself depending upon whether you do or do not use discovery but i i largely see uh, attorneys not doing anything like that in tpo cases and it's one of the first things that i do because why i mean why not help yourself in every possible way that you can yeah, I mean, I remember there was an allegation, and I know and that gets into the types of discovery, but uh, the allegation was that my client assaulted his wife in the driveway. And I said, so we asked discovery, when did it occur, the time that it occurred, who was present, and, there, and then we subpoenaed uh, the ring doorbell video, which they had recorded. And so when we got it, they didn't show an assault, exactly how she described it and pled it, that it was in the driveway, in front of the garage, outside, and you know, it was time-stamped. And it showed, yeah, they were having a heated argument. No one was struck. We win, simply because her pleadings were deficient. Now, maybe that happened out of camera view, but the way she pled it, that's important, is pleadings matter um, in terms of your attack and winning on you know, any challenge. And so that's huge but yeah i mean it goes for anything right you know ring doorbell text messages recordings whatever it may be pictures whatever right the ring doorbell is so huge um in this day and age from an evidentiary perspective i mean it, it, even if it's not your own ring doorbell look glance across the street i mean uh -huh. it, 
if there's if you if you don't have evidence that's coming from your own home, you certainly could try to shoot a subpoena over to you know the neighbor and, and, and get their ring evidence, or they might even hand it over voluntarily. You know, you just don't know. But in, in today's society, we very rarely move without it being documented, and I am finding more and more that that is helping in my protective order cases because wholeheartedly, the majority of the cases that I defend against. Uh, the allegations are, are are faulty. They're just they're yeah. just fabricated. And 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 the you know the, of course the opposite would be true. If the majority of the time the allegations were true, the ring doorbells would be biting us like crazy. But they're not. Yeah. And so you've got to really think outside the box when it comes to discovery. Homes have security systems. I mean, I've seen people use, for example, like Fitbit data. The wife will allege that, you know, on this date he was here and, and he hit me and here's a picture of the bruise and his Fitbit data shows that he was across town at the gym. You can't, you can't make a move without, you know, being tracked. And so use these things to your advantage. Of course, also be aware of them. I mean, you, you want to be making smart decisions, but you've got to use these things to your advantage. So when I'm talking about thinking about discovery, it's not as simple as just, you know, making, you know, making her hand over the evidence she's going to use. You really got to think outside the box. And that's where a skilled litigator, specifically someone who does nothing but family law all day, every day, and has seen it all. Yeah. That's where they're, that's really going to come in handy because they're going to have seen everything you can possibly imagine, as opposed to someone who does more of a mixed bag of practice. That's not going to be what you want in that situation. You're going to want the attorney that has done that does TPO hearings all day, every day, and has seen what works, knows how to get the get the evidence quickly, and knows where to look. You know, again, that kind of outside the box thinking, as opposed to just doing you know the typical run of the mill cookie cutter stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it's if you go in pro se, un, unrepresented, and you know, it's really uh, described by the election. Look, you just are you agree to stay away from her? We agree not to harass her. Well, of course, okay, consent order. And so the thing is that they don't realize is by engaging in this and, and consenting to it, there are big ramifications. It could be that they, in Missouri, if you make a finding uh, that they take away their gun, you lose your right to have a gun. If you have a job that requires security clearance, you're probably going to get fired from it. You know, it could be a defense contractor. It could be with the police or FBI or something that requires you either to carry a weapon or to have clearance. Major problem. Custody. You can be used against you in a custody battle. Those types of things. So I think that's why it's important to get to a litigator, get to someone who exclusively practices in family law to counsel you as to really what you should or shouldn't be doing and what you know the, the chances are of prevailing. And so that leads us to kind of our last topic, and that is witnesses. Witnesses are key, right? There is nothing probably more key in a TPO type case other than, than, than witness, except maybe the, the flat out camera evidence showing you didn't do what they said. I mean, that, that might be your golden ticket right there. But witnesses are so important. I cannot tell you how many times, almost always, I walk into to defend against a protective order hearing and it's the plaintiff and maybe an attorney for the plaintiff. They don't bring anyone. And, it, and perhaps that's because these alleged acts of domestic violence, you know, happen in the home or supposedly happen at home. So there just isn't a circus there, you know, witnessing. But that doesn't matter. Right. I mean, you, it's a credibility, you know, assessment. And that's, that goes for all litigation. I mean, the litigation is credibility and likability, and they're really, you know, can't even hardly separate the two. It, it's just the plaintiff up there saying he did it, and it's just the defendant up there saying, no, I didn't. You're probably going to find yourself in, in another one of those, the judge erring on the side of caution situations. You very well could. 
But if it's the plaintiff saying he did it, and it's the defendant saying, no, I didn't, and then you march five to 10 witnesses up behind the defendant saying, I have been around him a hundred plus times. I've been in his home. I've, I, we go to church together. We go, we watch our kids sports together. We go to birthday parties together. We, I've been around this man in every possible setting you can imagine. I have never seen him not only raise, raise his voice to his wife, I've never seen him raise his voice to anyone. I've never seen him even remotely become violent with his wife. I've never seen him be violent to anyone. In fact, the exact opposite is true. Here's how I know. That's where the money is. If you, if yep. you want to convince a judge um, that, it, you know, if you want to get beyond that, well, it's just that he said, she said, I can't tell you what it feels like to walk into a courtroom with the, one of the last TPOs I had, we had 10 people. My client had 10 witnesses ready and willing. And that also just kind of shows what kind of person you are. I mean, if you've got 10 people that find this to be so outlandish that they're willing to take off work and come down to the courthouse and do the things that nobody wants to have to do, that in and of itself speaks volumes to the judge for your credibility. And th to me, there, there's just really, uh, again, other than perhaps having vi actual video evidence to support your side, having just an army. I really felt like we had an army that day ready to go and defend my client. And it, you know, it's all, also certainly intimidating to the other side as well. Um, and of course that day ended up very well for us. So yeah, got to hit the ground running, getting, getting people in line to come down there with you. Yeah. I mean, like anything and kind of wrap it up, it's really, you know, full circle. It all involves everything from the witnesses to the discovery, to the analysis. It, it start refresh right away with an attorney that practices in this area. And that's key. Someone who knows what they're doing here and knows judges and knows the process and knows the preparation. Uh, all is not lost. I know when guys get it, they, you know, they want to throw it in the drawer and ignore it, but you can't. Um, it, it's just something, take a defense, take a stand and defend yourself. That's key. So thanks, Jill, for joining and enlightening us on uh, TPOs uh, in Georgia. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Well, continue to tune in. Check out uh, the all of the information, all of the podcasts that we have on our YouTube channel. The Cordell and Cordell YouTube channel is filled with not only the podcasts, but the virtual town halls that we did in 2020, we just did one in 2021. You want to check that out. That was the second five mistakes that guys make when facing divorce, the second half of the 10 stupidest mistakes guys make. So you want to check that one out. That was a good one. Register for the February virtual town hall coming up. You want to be able to log in, ask questions, get answers. And so until next time, have a great week.